hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. January was a blockbuster month for stocks. The S&P was up, what, 8% or so? And so far this month, well, we're basically unchanged. That makes some sense. We started the year off way oversold. And with this snapback, we're probably a little overbought here. Need a little rest. This rally so far feels like a technical bounce from oversold levels more than it does a resumption of the bull market. One problem we have is that policy uncertainty has risen at a time when the last pillar of global growth, that's the U.S., is showing some signs of cracking. Investors are a little skittish while they wait for a clear sign of de-escalation in the U.S.-China trade tensions, an end to the economic soft patch that we're having, a resolution on the government shutdown talks, and signs that global growth is bottoming, especially in China. And let's not forget the Fed and interest rates. All these unknowns, all these questions in investors' minds make the risk of a retesting the lows real. With that said, we do have some potential catalysts for growth. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. You can find out more about us and what we do for our day jobs at xmlfg.com. One group of stocks I like now are the financials. Probably not surprising since I'm a value investor and financials are usually a staple in value investor portfolios. But here's a couple of reasons why I like them. First, the economy is still moving along. Not as fast as it was or what we'd like, but it's still growing. Second, commercial and industrial loans have skyrocketed. They've skyrocketed here lately, growing better than 10%, despite softening CapEx intentions and CEO confidence. C&I loans are the single biggest credit category for the banks ahead of mortgages. Third, consumer confidence is high. We've come off the boil, yes, but we're still at historically high levels. I don't think it's surprising that the confidence numbers came down with the longest running government shutdown ever, we should see mortgages and consumer loans do okay. Unemployment is low or unemployment or employment is high, depends on how you want to say it. People are working. When people are working, people are going to pay their bills. And for the banks, that means lower defaults and higher profits. So there's four reasons. You know, you know what? Let me throw in a fifth reason. Last week, BB&T announced that they were buying SunTrust in a deal that was valued, I think it was around $65, $66 billion, which is going to create a firm with almost $450 billion in assets. That would make it the sixth largest bank, just behind my favorite U.S. bank court, simple USB. Unusually, though, both stocks rallied on the announcement which would send the message to other regional players that increasing scale to compete with the big banks is being welcomed by shareholders. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see more consolidation among the smaller banks. If you've been listening for a while, well, you know I'm a fan of the home builders. I think the with the Fed pausing here for a bit, mortgage rates could drift down or at very worst not go any higher. Household formation is still growing. Doesn't appear to me that we're overbuilding. It could end up being a really good spring selling season for these folks. I especially like the ones that cater to the first time home buyer, folks like D.R. Horton, simple D-H-I. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a few potential catalysts for growth. One is a kinder, gentler Fed. They most likely made a mistake raising rates too far, too quick, and the market revolted. Now, you have the rising odds of a pause in the Fed tightening cycle, at least for the first half of this year. And that'll likely serve as a positive catalyst for the equity markets. Another is earnings. They've been gaining gaining steam here. They've been gaining steam through this earnings seasons, which has been a continuation of double digit earnings growth from the prior three quarters. Now, I don't think earnings are going to continue at that pace. I I actually think that they're going to slow down this year, perhaps to the mid to high single digit range. You know, you you just can't grow at 20% plus forever. So we'll slow down, but we won't stop. And the third catalyst could be, and I'll lump all this together here and call it positive resolution. And what I mean by this is we put some of the current issues we have, well, we put those in the rear view mirror. We get past a looming government shutdown. We see a deal. We see progress in the U.S.-China trade talks. You know, the market doesn't like uncertainty. The less uncertain something is, well, the less you should pay for it, meaning lower PE multiples for stocks or what you pay for a dollar of earnings. If things become more certain, then you could see some modest gains in what investors are willing to pay. Let's step away real quick. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking to the millennials about savings and investing. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to today's edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. Today, I thought I'd talk about getting started on saving and investing. I had a few clients ask me to do a show on this so that they could send it on to their kids. And I thought it was a great idea because it's never too early to start planning. So today, it's my millennial guide to saving and investing. I'm not going to talk about budgeting here. You need to conquer that and 
you that conquer that part of life first. You've been working for a while and you know it's time that you should be doing something to get started. That's what I want to do here over the next few minutes is to give you a crash course on some of the basics. You heard it more than once. Save early, save often. The earlier you can start, the better. And I'll tell you to sacrifice as much as you possibly can while you're young. You need to have fun and enjoy life. So there's definitely a balance you need to strike. But the thing is about saving and investing is the more time you have, the better. Time is a a precious commodity. Once it's gone, it's gone. The longer you can let your money grow, the better because of the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. And I'm going to give you a simple example of this. I have two friends, Michelle and Jennifer. Incidentally, two of the most popular names in 1981 when most people mark the start of the millennial generation. Now, Jennifer has always been told, save early. Let time do its thing. So, Jennifer started putting away $1,000 a month when she was 25. And she did that up until the time she was 35. And then she just let it grow. Now, Michael, Michael was a little late to the party. He didn't get started saving and investing until he was 45. And then he got on Jennifer's plan. And he was saving $1,000 a month for the next 10 years. Both saved the same amount. Both got the exact same return on their investment, 7%. Now, keep in mind, this is just an an example of simple compound interest. There isn't something that's going to give you a straight 7% like this. But when they retired at 65, Jennifer had $1,444,969. And Michael, well, Michael had $373,000. Four hundred and seven dollars. Well, that's a difference of almost one point one million dollars. That was the cost to Michael for waiting to do what he was going to have to do anyway. Over a million dollars for procrastinating. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Twelve thousand dollars is a lot to be saving, especially if you're twenty-five. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. According to Smart Asset. The average salary for someone between the ages of 25 and 34 is about $40,000 a year. So a $1,000 a month saving habit, well, that's about 30% of your salary. Hmm. Let me think about that one for a minute. Well, while we're thinking about it, let's talk about where to save. First, if you're just starting out, you want to make sure that you're building up an emergency fund. Doesn't make much sense to start plowing a bunch of money into a retirement account to have to take it out because the car broke down or, you know, an emergency came up. Life happens, right? If you're taking it out of your retirement accounts, you're going to potentially be looking at paying a whole bunch in taxes and penalties. And that's probably not what you want to do, right? So let's build up the emergency fund first. Question is, how much? Now, I've heard a bunch of people say a bunch of things over the years, like you should have three months of your income and savings or six months or or even a year. Now, everyone is different. One person may need three months. Another person may need three years. This is money 
that's going to be parked away in a savings account or hopefully in some type of money market earning at least a little bit of interest. That's the first step. Starting starting to get this built up. You don't have to do it all at once, but over time. To start, aim for a month of income and work from there. As time goes on, you're probably going to need more in this fund because, well, your fixed costs are greater and your responsibility is greater. And like I said, life happens. When you're building up that cash, you also want to take advantage of your employer's 401k or the equivalent if they have one. And I'd I'd love it if they had a 401, uh, Roth 401k, excuse me. If you have a 401k, then there's probably a good chance that your employer is doing some sort of matching contribution. Some employers may match you dollar for dollar, you know, for every dollar you put in, they'll put in a dollar up to a certain amount, maybe 3% or a fixed dollar amount. Check, check your own plan. You got to take advantage of that. You got to take advantage of that because that's just free money, right? If there is such a thing and there's not, but you got to take advantage of that. Think about it. If you're trying to save a thousand dollars a month, like Jennifer did, well, you just got a little help from your employer because they're putting in their part. Now, I don't know your situation, but I'd like to see you saving 10% of what you're making or more if you can. More and more employers are offering these retirement benefits, these things like 401ks, and quite a few even have auto enroll, which means when you're an employee, you sign it, they automatically put you into the plan. And when they do that, well, sometimes they have this contribution amount that automatically defaults to something like three or 5%. So in other words, you're automatically in the program, they're automatically taking money out that goes into your 401k. Well, if they have this auto contribution set up at three or 5%, well, you want to make sure that you change that because you want to be saving more, right? Good. Now we have the emergency money squirreled away. We're saving for the long term, the retirement plan, right? We're in pretty good shape, don't you think? Yes. Yes, we are. But let me take you another step further here. We got the short term covered. And the long term is under control. But what about that big space in between, that big swath of time where, well, where life happens? Let's just say you have the emergency money covered and you're contributing to the retirement plan, collecting that free money, as I talked about. After you've gotten everything you could in the match, well, that's when you want to start thinking about doing something else. Because you're putting your money in, you got your employer match. Well, now you might want to think about setting up an investment account, a taxable account, because you're going to need money down the road for a house, for the kid's college, all those types of things that come up. You're going to need money that you can get to. So don't put every dime in your tax deferred account because you're going to need this you know, this money is you're going to, is what you're going to need in five years or more. So you can invest this money, not just keep it in the money market, invest it according to your needs. So basically you're going to have three different buckets of savings, all serving a different purpose. And as life and situations change, so do the size of these buckets. And just like there are different ways of saving it, well, when you're retired, 
there are certain ways to spend it down too. And we'll talk about that at another time. That's about all we have time for today. I hope you found it useful. If you did, hit the like button so other people know or even forward it on to someone you think that might benefit from hearing about it or hearing about this stuff. I'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.